the show. My name is Chris and I have Becky and Mike on here. Let's start there. Uh, I'm Varen, Varen Swami. I'm happy to be with Varen. Perfect. Awesome. Before we start, I just want to thank you for joining us today and say that we've all been reading your work for years and um, give you a little background on who we are. Um, I'm in the U.S. at the University of Alabama. I study cultural impacts on health. So that's been including tattooing recently. Um, Mike is uh, one of my PhD students, so he's endeavoring in uh, working on this. And Becky is an evolutionary psychologist in your neck of the woods, at least on, on that side of the pond, I should say. I don't know my, my UK geography at all. Um, Me <laughs> so again, welcome. Thank you. But I'll just jump into it, and I would love to hear about your background your expertise, what took you into academia, and then I'd really love to hear your broad theoretical interest as well as your focus on tattooing and and what role that plays in your research now. Um, Where to begin? So it must be about two decades ago now that I did my PhD, Um, but I trained as an evolutionary psychologist, um, and a lot of my early work was on evolutionary psychology, particularly understanding how different body size ideals emerge in particular cultural contexts and the, the function that body fat in, uh, plays in terms of interpersonal relationships. But I got bored with a lot of evolutionary psychological theorizing. I thought it was a lot of it was shoddy theorizing and didn't really connect or mirror lived experiences of people, particularly in terms of how we understand attraction and how we understand relationships. I think this idea that we all kind of are just animals and we mate with each other and actually rather than actually having full-fledged relationships with other people threw me off and I kind of shifted from there and I, I started doing a lot more work on on body image um, and I consider myself mainly a body image researcher so I'm interested much more in how we process understand and experience our own bodies and what those experiences mean in terms of our psychological well-being um, a lot of my work at the moment is focused on understanding cultural differences in body image, how we measure it, how we operationalize the construct, but also how we try and promote healthier body image um, for populations worldwide. That's so cool. Um, that sounds really interesting. I was I was reading through your list of um, publications, actually, and I was thinking it does seem a lot more evolutionary focused. And then it, it, I could see the shift as, as I went through. I mean... Um, as a psychologist interested in tattooing, it was your name that would continually come up. And I know it's not something that you actively pursue so specifically anymore, as you say, focusing more so on um, body image more broadly than rather than just on tattooing. Um, one of my favorite papers by you was about unattractive, promiscuous and heavy drinkers, about the perceptions of, of um, women with tattoos. And, you know, it was, it was a long time ago now, 2007. Yeah, so I, I think like when you look at the tattooing research, there are essentially two ways of understanding tattooing and the impact that tattooing has. The one is what I 
tend to call the outside view, essentially how other people perceive others with tattoos. And then you've got the inside view, which is how I feel about my own tattoos. And I think the paper you're mentioning, I think we might have just been my post-PhD at that point. Um, and I was interested in how we how people perceive others in terms of their tattoos. And at that time, there were very, very few studies that actually had tried to do anything of that type. Um, and the few studies that had been published generally suggested that women tended to be perceived negatively if they had visible tattoos. Um, so in our study, if I recall correctly, what my colleague Adrian Furnham and I did was we asked um, university students to rate essentially line drawings of um, women with and without tattoos. And I think we varied hair color as well, I forget now, but it was essentially about the tattooing. Um, and we asked them to rate the images for attractiveness, perceived promiscuity. And I think we also, just for the fun of it, asked them to rate how many uh, units of alcohol they thought the women would drink on a typical night out. Um, and we found that in general, the women who had visible tattoos were perceived as less attractive, more promiscuous, and were also, I think, about by about a function of about two units of alcohol, they were more perceived to be heavier drinkers as well. And I, I think we tied this into how the idea that essentially women were perceived more negatively because they were um, taking part, I suppose, in a, what was perceived at the time to be quite a masculine norm. Yeah, definitely my interpretation of it all as well. And it's something that I've always found really interesting because especially since we started this podcast and doing some of the research from, from other fields, we kind of were not even sure where some of these stereotypes came from. And I know you kind of um, interpreted that paper at the time in terms of stereotypes, like you say, masculine and feminine stereotypes. And you looked at the impact of, of that on body image. Do you have any ideas where those kind of stereotypes maybe originated from? Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of, of, of perceptions of what is attractive and what would constitute a, um, an ideal, most cultures and most societies have very clear definitions of what is attractive. Um, so I, at the moment, a lot of my research emerges from sociocultural and feminist psychology. And the basic idea here is that as societies develop and as they modernize and there is a greater push for, for greater gender equality, patriarchal structures essentially react by saying women you either we well we can we can attack the, the movement for, for for gendered equality or we can force women to to shift their focus away from say equality onto kind of less meaningful aspects like their appearance and a lot of kind of the structures of of patriarchal societies exist to tell women this is how you relate to your body this is what you can and can't do with your body and this these are the limits of your of your freedom in terms of your body and um, so beauty practices and beauty ideals essentially exist within this framework as a means of policing women's um, behaviors as a means of policing women's attitudes and more generally as a means of policing the movement for for gender equality um, Andrew Dawkin feminist scholar used to talk about how these beauty practices are just not just force women to spend a lot of their psyche thinking about but also are incredibly time-wasting and they're often quite painful as well so they set standards that aren't achievable for most women and to the extent that women internalize those ideals they end up experiencing negative body image which is also why you see a, a quite clear gender difference in, in terms of body image outcomes men tend to have more positive body image they tend to report greater body appreciation functionality appreciation they also experience body dissatisfaction to much lower rates than women although that has been changing in the last say 20 years i think that's really interesting thank you that, that's got my brain going <laughs> <laughs> well Speaking of body image and attractiveness, we see so many of 
these studies look at how the other sex or the outside perceives you as attractive or not. So could you tell us a bit about how you think tattooing fits in with this concept of body image and attractiveness and how we are portrayed and perceived? Yeah, I mean, by its very nature, tattooing is about the body. It's a, it's a mark on the body that indicates something. Uh, and one of the roles of, I guess, my, my early research was trying to work out what that something is. Um, I mean, again, if you go back to this idea of, of patriarchal societies and patriarchal structures policing what women, women can and can't do with their bodies, you see a similar thing that essentially says what anyone can do with their bodies is heavily prescribed, is heavily limited in terms of what you're able to demonstrate, what you're able to express through your bodies. Essentially, we have such little freedom, or often we have very little freedom in terms of what we can do and can't do with our bodies, particularly in terms of cultural and, and societal norms. And I suspect that tattooing is one of the, the most immediate and most recent ways in, people, in which people have tried to reclaim some agency over their individual bodies by saying, this body is mine, this space is mine, and this physical self is mine. And I think tattooing and body image therefore becomes inherently linked because when you mark the body in that individual agentic way, you're essentially reclaiming some agency over your body. You're essentially reclaiming ownership of your body. You're saying, I'm marking the body in a way that says, no one else can tell me how I can relate to my body. And also related to that is the idea that tattooing is probably the most immediate form of self-expression that you can find. I, I mean, obviously, in an everyday sense, most people will use their clothes, maybe sometimes their hairstyles or their hair color to demonstrate something about their self-expression. But tattooing can be seen as another form of that. It's a form of saying, this is what is unique about me. This is this is only I in the, in the whole entire world have this particular tattoo. And then you've also got cultural norms that regulate about what is acceptable in terms of tattooing. And um, many cultures around the world um, have very specific norms about what is acceptable culturally to be tattooed on the body. Um, so in all those senses, I, I think tattooing has become a form of self-expression that has a huge impact on how we understand our own body image, particularly in terms of constructing identities, but also in terms of constructing spaces for expressing the self. I really like that explanation you just gave and particularly how it applies to places like the US or the UK when we're very much focused on the individual and how we can express ourselves. But with the work that Chris and I are doing in Samoa and American Samoa, tattooing and in a lot of other traditional and indigenous practices, tattooing is seen less as an expression of who you are and kind of who you belong to. And I know this is your specific line of research, but can you see these same psychological concepts being applied in some cases? Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, even if you look at the history of tattooing in the West, it hasn't always been about individual self-expression. For the most part of the 20th century, tattooing was about expressing cultural and, and social identity. It was about saying, this is my group and I belong to this group. The first kind of outbreak, I suppose, or the kind of first manifestation of popular of the popularization of tattooing was um, sailors who came back from James Cook's um, travels to the South Pacific, and they came back and marked their body as a way of saying, we are part of a sailor group. And by the, by the 1940s, 1950s, tattooing became completely incredibly popular among what was sometimes called outgroups or social deviants, people who were circus performers, prison gangs. So again, it was a mark of, of identity. It was saying part of the group affiliation that we have can be expressed, can be marked on, on the body. And that's still true today. I mean, army cadets often often tattoo themselves and you see similar things in Northern Ireland where um, where you would mark the body as a, as a sign of political organization or political orientation. There are often 
motivations that are still linked with community or social or class identity. And the body is a very useful way of marking that. I do think there has been a shift, I think, more recently, perhaps in the last 10 or 15 years, in terms of those motivations becoming less prominent than individual self-expression. Um, if you look at the data that's come through from Australia, come through from the UK, and sometimes from North America, what we find is that the number one motivation is often aesthetic, it is to express something about individuality rather than to express something about um, social identity. So I, I know your work has been picked up by the media a lot. We've seen, as, as Becky said, I've seen the, we've seen the arc of, at least theoretically, right, of your work. Um, I didn't know you were an evolutionary psychology trained person. So that puts us all in a sort of same neck of the woods where we're all sort of like feeling that it's a little reductionistic for interpreting contemporary behaviors. And I I think one of your more recent pieces, you you did something that we had been chafing and not seeing, which is using the big five instead of say just risk as something to compare it to. And now you're 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 considering yourself a body image researcher. So I'm I'm interested in, I guess since we're putting this out there for the public and and we've also been interviewed by the media, your your reflection on on the media's interest in the research we're doing and how that has impacted your perspective on your own research. Yeah, I, you know, when I first started doing tattoo research, one of the things I would often come across, and this is not just two of the media, but also other academic scholars, was that there was often a perception that tattooing was inherently bad, that the way we approach tattooing has to begin from a negative standpoint. When you look back to the 1960s, 1970s, much of the research that was conducted then was all about pathologizing people with tattoos. And the image that emerges is that anyone who has a tattoo is inherently damaged psychologically in some way. And when I first started doing a lot of the tattoo research and through engaging with the media a lot, you see a lot of these stereotypes about how people with tattoos are meant to be perceived. And so I believe it was around 2000, maybe 10, maybe 12, and um, I began a program of studies that essentially tried to bust some of these myths. And one of the things we did was the one you mentioned, we looked at personality profiles. We also looked at risk-taking um, behavior. We looked at aggression. And generally we found very few differences between people who were tattooed and people who were non-tattooed. And I think that's really important because I think some of these stereotypes still exist. They exist saying that people who have tattoos are inherently bad or they're inherently aggressive or they're inherently more risk-taking. They're more likely to take drugs. To apply those same stereotypes now is essentially a misuse of science. There's simply no evidence given the popularity of tattooing to suggest that people who are tattooed are any different to people who are non-tattooed. That was a pithy quote. Thank you. We're going to snag that one right out of there. <laughs> um, picking up from what you just said there, one of the things that I've, I've always kind of wondered about was how tattooing research has been approached when we look at tattooed people versus non-tattooed people. And so I, I kind of wondered what your opinion was on how research has approached this so far, really. <laughs> I know, I think like in most of the research, what we essentially do, and this is true of myself, true of a lot of other researchers as well, what we generally do is to group people into tattooed, non-tattooed. We don't make distinctions often within the tattooed group. Sometimes we do, and occasionally we try to, um, but essentially that's the research paradigm. You compare 
one group who have no tattoos, one group who have had tattoos. Now that's problematic for a number of reasons. The non-tattooed group, you might have a lot of individuals there who are considering tattooing. So you might have some overlap in terms of their psychological profiles. In terms of the non-tattooed group, someone who has one small tiny tattoo on the back of their shoulder might be very different to someone who is heavily tattooed, but we don't tend to make those distinctions. We try to occasionally, so in a lot of my research, what we might do is correlate things like the big five personality types with the number of tattoos that people have, because that's the most easy, easily used quantitative data that we can gather. Um, we sometimes, in some cases, we sometimes distinguish between the location of the tattoo, but again, it's very difficult to operationalize. But I think this is where we come up against the limits of what quantitative data analysis can tell us. A few, this is quite recently actually, a student of mine tried to put together a scale that measures the uh, percentage of body cover mark uh, that's inked. And um, we essentially based it on what's called the Burns uh, scale. So the Burns scale is a, is a very famous scale that measures the degree of burn on a person. Um, so what we did was we designed this app, which essentially allowed people to color in their bodies and it would give you an output, which was the uh, percentage cover. We found that people found it very difficult to use. I know some scholars have distinguished between what they've sometimes called lightly tattooed and heavily tattooed individuals. Paul Sweetman used to do this back in, in the late 1990s when he was doing qualitative research. But I've never come across a good way of objectively quantifying what would be considered heavily tattooed versus what would be considered, say, for example, medium tattooing or light yeah. tattooing. So that's where we come across the kind of limits of what we can do with quantitative research. And I suspect what we'll need to do with a lot of the research now is to go back to kind of using qualitative research designs to more fully understand the function and the motivation that tattooing has for a lot of people. But that also still doesn't answer a different question, which is how we understand the content of people's tattoos. Because you can measure body coverage, you can measure how many tattoos a person has, but it doesn't tell you anything about what they actually have on their bodies and what that symbolizes for them. Because there you come across, um, you, there you have to use much more qualitative research methods to understand what a tattoo means for an individual. As a simple example, I, can, I mean, I have tattoos each of my tattoos means something very specific to me not just in terms of the meaning it has in other words not just graphically what it means but also in terms of when I got it what I felt when I got it how I felt after how it means to me now how I relate to it now say my first tattoo was when I got it when I was 18 and um, I have very strong feelings about this tattoo because it was one that I didn't want to get I felt like I had to get a tattoo at the time so I feel like now I don't particularly like this tattoo I probably want to get it covered up so I have very mixed feelings about those tattoos and I've got other more recent tattoos which I'm very happy about but this is the stuff that quantitative psychology can never fully understand because it's incredibly individual it's incredibly idiosyncratic and it's incredibly subjective to me but that doesn't make it any less important to understand we're of course now dying to know about the tattoos that you don't <laughs> and, and but then i would have to tell you about the tattoos i have that i don't like so we're not going to ask that question it is really interesting though to hear about even you know like an, an arc of getting the tattoos where because that is something that you see quite a lot across different people isn't it you, you know your first tattoo is something that's maybe not ideal you maybe is getting it for different kind of reasons than what you get it now and you come to feel quite differently about that first tattoo than what you do now so mine I got mine when I was 16 my first one and I ended up going in and picking something off of the chart and in a way I'm kind of glad I did that now <laughs> not that it matters because it's not there anymore but <laughs> I think I would have scored a little higher on the impulsivity scale when I was 18. So. <laughs> so kind of going back to this idea of body image and tattooing and 
attractiveness. Um, I'm interested in, I did some research just on body modifications in general this year. Um, and I'm interested if you've seen any correlations or similarities between tattooing and cosmetic surgeries or cosmetic body modifications. Um, yes and no. So, so I think it, I'll answer the yes first. Um, so in terms of the yes, I think both body art and cosmetic surgery essentially are, are ways of marking the body in some form. Um, I know some scholars, not so much recently, but at least historically, have tried to liken tattooing to essentially a form of fashion accessorizing, essentially a way of demonstrating participation in consumerist society. And it reduces, I think it reduces and it removes a lot of the agency of those individuals who are getting tattooed. And that's not to say it doesn't happen. I mean, I've known people who've got really, without thinking very much, tattoos that symbolize something very meaningless for them. And it's just a symbol of I've been tattooed now. And that probably is true of, of a small percentage of people. I think for most people, there is a lot of planning involved. Paul Sweetman calls it the three P's, planning, permanence, and the price. Um, so there's a cost involved as well. And those three P's are really important in terms of both tattooing, but also cosmetic surgery. You see the same three P's with cosmetic surgery as well. It's permanent, often permanent. It's There's a cost involved and there's a lot of planning involved as well. I think today, though, I think the motivations for cosmetic surgery and the motivations for tattooing are often very different. With cosmetic surgery, for most people who, who obtain uh, elective cosmetic surgeries, uh, what you generally find is that they're trying to attain a standard of appearance or an ideal of appearance that's been communicated through social culture, that this is how you will accrue status, this is how you will accrue success, or this is how you accrue femininity or masculinity by becoming more attractive. With, with tattooing and body art in general, the Motivations are often have much more to do with self-expression um, and, and expressing an, in, an individuality. Um, in one of my early studies, for example, we found that people who got tattooed had very high levels of need for uniqueness. So this idea that they needed to feel unique, but we don't find a similar profile among individuals who have cosmetic surgery. Um, so there are, firstly, I, I, would, I would say different motivations for why people get tattooed and why people might get cosmetic surgery but I think often those motivations are different which is not to suggest it might not change I think certainly in the UK I've seen a much larger group of individuals enter the tattooing market who have very little motivation in terms of self-expression but um, a much clearer need to express social identity whether it's class or whether it's gender often it's expressing some communication of how we are part of the same group and there you might see much greater familiarity with this idea of tattoos tattoos being a form of fashion accessorizing but I think for the most people still for now I think there are big differences in terms of why people get cosmetic surgery and why people get tattooed why people get tattooed I'll also sort of throw out there from what you're saying and our own experience is that a lot of the psychological studies in particular have been weird populations right they're using convenient samples from universities and the arc of tattooing over a lifetime the, the meaning and, and um, motivations change dramatically and there's a really almost no data on people's motivations as they get older right and then also uh you know how they they feel about them so i think we're all 100 percent in agreement and i also want to throw out that your student maybe shouldn't give up on the the app uh, we we've done similar work looking at the biological impacts of tattooing looking at how it impacts the immune system trying to measure tattoo experience and the two-dimensional uh grid we just use the paper version uh helped quantify coverage along with things like number of hours that they've spent 
because some tattooing is slower and some is faster. And so all that matters and all that's un unexplored. And that's to say that the interdisciplinarity that we're trying to achieve here, I think will be important. And if I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly, it may be why you've moved to looking more broadly at body image, or maybe you've just moved on. I'm curious what your research now is and how you see tattooing in that larger frame of the psychology of body image. I started doing tattooing research mainly because I was tattooed myself and I didn't see that reflected in the literature at the time. And I wanted to understand a bit more in terms of how people understood perceptions of others, but also how people understood perceptions of themselves when they get tattooed. But I think we've talked about, there was a study that I did conduct which looked specifically at body image outcomes. We might talk about that in a second. But once I'd done that work, I felt like I'd kind of done what I wanted to do personally. I kind of resolved something in terms of kind of busting this myth that people who were tattooed were psychologically damaged. They were psychopathological in some form. So I kind of busted that myth and I kind of got bored with doing that research. You know, you could do it infinitely. You could look at different personality profiles and keep going with that work. Um, but at the time I kind of said, well, I've done that. I, other people can take it up if they want to. Um, and I started looking more directly at tattooing and body image. And I think, up until now, I think it's the one study that specifically looked at the outcomes in terms of what happens when people get tattooed in terms of their body image outcomes, also their psychological well-being, if I recall. Um, I still want to do more of that research, but I think my focus has shifted in the last five or six years to looking more specifically at broader interventions that can be more effective for a broader group of people. So in very simple terms, I suspect that people who get tattooed do experience more positive body image. And if you want to turn that into an intervention, essentially what you're saying to people is go get tattooed. But that's a very difficult message to sell to lots of people. Whereas my other research, for example, at the moment, I'm looking at things like body image and, and uh, nature exposure. People who spend time in nature tend to have healthier body image. That's a much easier message to sell to a broad section of the population to say to them, go and spend time in nature, as opposed to saying, go and get yourself marked by a tattooist. Um, but I'm still interested in working out and understanding the kind of psychology of people who get tattooed and what that means for them. It's just that I haven't got time to do the other work that I'm interested in and still keep doing the tattooing research. Sure, sure. We're just curious as to what the arc of a career looks like. Our last interviewee actually said she thinks this is probably the side gig of most of the scholars out there. It was my side gig as well. It was for, and I, I mean, I, I like side gigging mainly because it keeps me interested in doing research. Right. Um, I also like playing with ideas and playing with things that people haven't considered in a while. I mean, the, the idea of nature exposure and body image, for example, is something that's been applied a lot outside body image, but it's never been applied to body image specifically. So I like taking those ideas and kind of applying it to something specific. And it was the same with tattooing. I mean, I, I after I kind of moved away from evolutionary psychology, I, I did a lot of psychometric work, which is how I familiarized myself with the big five. And then it was simply a matter of applying that framework to tattooing. Yeah makes perfect sense. I, I would say that the media interest and the popular interest is what's pulled us into this and, and what has moved it from side gig to, to front plate because the money, well, I follow the money, but um, I mean, the, the research for money, who, who will pay me to do what? I was just thinking it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> seem to be um, like that over here. I don't know. I don't know about Darren's experience, but um, nobody wants us to do tattooing research here. I think that I'm kind of pushed away from. If you say, oh, look, the tattooing is linked to drug use or tattooing is linked to cannabis yeah. use, some people might be interested. 
Um, but I think <laughs> understanding the profiles of people is not on the agenda. Exactly. Yeah. I just had one last uh, question for you as someone who actually, I did my master's uh, over in the UK in evolutionary psychology and bioanthropology and looked at kind of human environmental relationships and some of the positive benefits of nature exposure. So coming from that background now into my PhD where I'm working a little more qualitatively, I was just wondering what's your approach to this qualitative work that you say kind of needs to be done to better understand these motivations and kind of the deeper levels of body image in your case? Um, so let me preface everything I'm about to say by saying I do not pretend to be a qualitative researcher. Um, it's not to say I don't ever do qualitative research, but it's not my main skill set. If I was to do a research project now, given my background in body image, what I would like to do is to understand the symbolism that tattooing can play for an individual particularly in terms of making sense of things like trauma or a particularly important event in a person's life um susan jeffries years ago wrote a book about women i forget the title now but in the book she claimed that women who'd experienced some form of trauma or some form of abuse would often mark their body as a way of reclaiming agency of the, over their body. And I've often found that idea really interesting. And it's often, again, it's a very gendered nature of, of tattooing, but I don't think there's any really been any research in terms of understanding something so specific in someone's life, like trauma or abuse, or even something more a different momentous occasion, like um, either death of someone or the passing of a, of a pet, for example. My dog died two years ago and I really wanted to get a tattoo of him on my back. Um, but my wife said, don't do it, don't do it. It would look hideous. And that tension between wanting to mark my body and say, I had a pet and I loved him very much and he's gone now. And the cultural norms around marking your body with, with a pet is really interesting to me. But I suspect I'm not alone in those kind of motivations, kind of the tensions between wanting to mark the body in some way, but fearful of the pain or fearful of the stigma or fearful of the occupational outcomes. So those kind of tensions are really interesting. But again, they can't be explored from a quantitative perspective. They really need some form of in-depth understanding of a person's individual experiences. So I guess something like interpretive phenomenological analysis would be, would be ideal. Um, and I know Paul Sweetman's done this work years and years ago, but I think I suspect it really needs updating now. I think I'm not sure if he's still publishing, but his work was brilliant back in the 90s. I remember reading it and going, this is what I'd like to do if I was a qualitative researcher. We, uh, I think we, I don't know if we talked about it on the pod, but when we interviewed Beverly Ewan Thompson, she's doing a project on tattoos among academics. It's funny that you, you talk the way you talk about it, because I would say there's been, at least in the, in the U.S., where most of her data comes from, a switch, right? So if a professor shows up with a marine tattoo, it would be kind of weird for students, as opposed to you know, someone like me with just hipster doofus tattoos on that, that is what they have come to associate with professorial tattoos. So I think you're on the money and, and there's something interesting going on there. Hopefully the future will be filled with a little more interdisciplinary anthropology, psychology collaboration. So we can start understanding these things a little bit better. Yeah. I want to thank you uh, for coming on the podcast because we've read your work, but it does help to talk to understand that arc. And when you put a pin in dismissing a myth, 
I think we read your articles out of order sometimes and we don't see that you have made that statement and we're going, has anyone made that statement? So it's good to hear it directly from you. Is there anything that you'd like to leave uh, listeners with or advertise or, or promote? Well, especially, um, I, I, like I said, I think, I, I think tattooing has historically had a really bad rep. I think given the number of people who have tattoos now, I think in the UK, something like 26, 28% have tattoos. In Western Europe is slightly higher. Um, to dismiss this segment of the population as somehow psychopathological or somehow deviant is just ridiculous now. And anyone, ped- and I think in the media, like you said, the media often want that angle. They want to kind of chip in and kind of go, people who have tattoos are bad, people who have tattoos are, are criminals and all that kind of stuff. And I think, that's, I think that does a disservice, not just to scientists, because I think we have a responsibility to speak up when we have the data to challenge some of these myths and challenge some of these ideas. I think it's really important that we do, especially if it has an outcome in terms of people's occupations or people's experiences in life, because often it does. I mean, I still see people being stigmatized and being stereotyped when they turn up in an occupational setting with a visible tattoo. So I think as scientists, we have a responsibility to speak out and say, that's wrong what you're doing. And it's based on science. It's based on the evidence that we have. And we can provide that evidence to say that the practices that you're engaging in are incredibly dismissive and they're incredibly hurtful for people's livelihoods. And I think that's really important. But I also think the flip side is also really important. The idea that tattooing doesn't benefit us psychologically is also incredibly deficient. I mean, the the limited research that we have suggests that actually it can provide a huge boost in terms of people's understandings and people's experiences of their bodies in terms of their in terms of their body image, but also in terms of their things like their their social anxiety, their experiences of self-esteem, their all seem to improve, at least in the short term. So it's really important that we we highlight those messages to tell people, look, getting getting a tattoo is nothing is not deviant. It's nothing bad about getting tattooing. It's the same way that you might go and buy a new pair of shoes you can go and choose to get a tattoo if you want but that tattoo often has incredibly deep meanings for the individual which can then also have an impact on that person's psychological well-being and also their psychological health in the long term fantastic thank you so much thank you so much (laughs) absolutely awesome thank you bye thanks Bye. bye thanks for listening to the ink and of immunity podcast Please subscribe wherever it is that you listen to your free podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at inking.of.immunity and on Twitter at inking underscore immunity. If you enjoyed this show, you may also be interested in The Sausage of Science, a podcast by Chris where he and his co-host talk to human biologists about new research every week. The Inking of Immunity podcast is funded in part by the US National Science Foundation grant BCS 2017553. Chris Lynn is the executive producer of this show and Becky Owens and Max Matana are the associate producers.